All right, so Romans 1, 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so I was tasked this week with introducing the Romans. Uh, this is kind of the one verse. There's not a whole lot in here to tell us about who the Romans are, uh, but there's a lot of other places in Scripture uh, that we can look to, to get some clues. So as I looked at this verse and as I considered what to do this week, I had two big questions that really were running through my mind. Uh, first one is, who are all those in Rome? Uh, Paul has a very clear audience in mind. Um, and then secondly, uh, I was wondering, how did all those in Rome end up in Rome as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ? Um, Paul is this apostle, this, this missionary, and he's always kind of on the leading edge of spreading the good news about Jesus. He's always kind of in new places where Christ hasn't been preached. He actually says elsewhere, like that's one of the things he wants to do is preach Christ where he's not known. And uh, so Romans is kind of weird because he's writing to a place where he hasn't actually been yet. Um, so how did this church end up in Rome? Um, so let's start with the first question, is, is who exactly were all those in Rome that Paul was writing to? Uh, we get a number of clues from the book itself, um, and they can be easy to miss once we actually get into it in the weeks and months ahead, because uh, there'll be all these other theological arguments and things happening who can kind of miss out on some of the clues of who the audience is. Um, so a major point of emphasis in the book is that the gospel is for all people. Uh, Paul goes to great lengths to demonstrate that God has always intended that the good news and that salvation would be available to all people in all nations. Uh, the early chapters of Romans, we'll see in the weeks ahead, Paul lays out the theological foundation for his whole gospel message. Um, and namely that salvation is for all people. So Romans 2 and 3, he talks about how righteousness is from faith. It's not from heritage. It's not from following laws, but it's through faith. Uh, Romans 3.23, a lot of you may know, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul is writing to an audience where he wants all of them to know they're all in the same boat. Um, in Romans 4, he kind of addresses more of a Jewish audience saying, you know, Abraham's faith is what led to the promise. It wasn't the law, it wasn't Jewishness, there wasn't those categories for Abraham, but he was counted as righteous through faith. Uh, and then Romans 5, uh, Paul again is kind of pulling on some things here, talking about through Adam, all people have sinned, and through Christ, all can be saved. Um, so all of this points to a Roman church that was a very mixed group. Um, Paul mentions in the beginning, he's tasked by God, called by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, but as you get into the book, he uses arguments and language that would speak to both Gentiles and Jewish believers. Uh, and it sometimes even seems as if he's focusing a particular thought on one group or the other. Um, but through it all, Paul wants to make sure that his readers understand that uh, they all stand on equal footing before, cross, before the cross and uh, within the church. Um, so this bit of background tells us that uh, all those in Rome were a complicated mix of Jews and Gentiles. 
Uh, there's actually some really neat historical events that, that tell us or show us more about this as well. Um, so in the years before, the decades before this, uh, the Jews, a lot of them that were in Rome, uh, would have been there. They would have been, uh, they were known as freedmen, but they were, would have been enslaved by previous Caesars and, and brought to Rome. Um, and so at the time of uh, this letter, there's estimated to be 30 to 50,000 Jews in Rome. Um, and, and most all of them would have been slaves and their descendants that were now freed in the city. Um, and obviously in Rome, 30 to 50,000 people is, is a big number back then, but the city itself was probably closer to a million. And being the center of the Roman Empire, there actually were people from the whole known world, the whole Mediterranean would have ended up uh, in Rome, similar to how the Jews ended up there uh, through slavery, through trade, through whatever else. And so um, that's the context uh, that, that Paul is writing to. Um, and a really neat thing I learned this week, I, don't, I didn't remember this from uh, any seminary class or anywhere else, but um, the Jewish church or the Jewish community was the first place where, where Christianity came to Rome. Uh, and in AD 49, um, and we'll come back to this in a minute, but the emperor Claudius kicked all the Jews out of the city, expelled them from the city, signed an edict. And so there's this mass exodus of Jews from the city of Rome, including Jewish Christians. Uh, and so in that time, and there's about a six year window where this edict was in place, uh, is actually Gentile believers that really started building up the church. And uh, so there's uh, all of a sudden a Jewish led church and they're kicked out and all of a sudden it's a Gentile led church. Uh, and then about five or six years later, the Jews start trickling back and they come back to a church that is all of a sudden Gentile led. Uh, it's really, really interesting stuff, uh, looking at imagining the dynamics of there of, of Jews and Gentiles and who had kind of been leading and who was the insiders, who had knowledge and experience and uh, then the switch that happens. And so um, that's part of the audience. It's a church that started very Jewish uh, and now through this exile and return is, is suddenly a very Gentile led church. Um, so we can get more specific than this. So as we look at Romans, it's not just Jews and Gentiles. We actually see that Paul has a very particular uh, list of people that he has in mind. So it's not just broad categories, Jews and Gentiles that happen to be in Rome. If we go to uh, Acts 16, or Acts, Romans 16, we'll see here, all these names in red are individuals and they kind of get crossed out in the light there. But uh, so in this chapter, he lists 29 individuals by name. Um, so Paul writes Romans, he has specific names and faces and families and stories and joys and sorrows that he's writing to. Uh, it's not just kind of an abstraction, but very, very uh, real flesh and blood people. Uh, and he also mentions at least five different groups of people. Uh, there's uh, you know, to the brothers that are with them or to the family of, uh, I can't say the names, where is it? It's, it's, it's lost in the light. Um, the church that meets in uh, Quill and Priscilla's home, uh, those kind of things. So there, there's a big crowd of people. Paul knows many of these people uh, by name, by face. He knows their stories. If you read some of the language here, uh, it's language of deep affection. 
Uh, it's people that he's spent time with, he's broken bread with, he's uh, probably laughed and cried and uh, hung out and uh, everything else with. Um, and, and so it's really important as we go through Rome to remember um, in all this theological language and all the stuff, all the arguments he's making, he's writing to specific people, specific issues, specific uh, problems and realities in their lives. Um, so Priscilla and Aquila uh, in verse three there, uh, they're people that he spent significant time with in Corinth. They're actually, uh, if you read in, uh, where is it here? Mm-hmm. We'll get to it, I guess. I didn't get there yet. <laughs> uh, but they're people that Paul spent significant time with in the city of Corinth. Uh, they were Jews from Rome that were kicked out, ended up in Corinth, and then are now back in there. Phoebe, that he starts the letter with, uh, the church at uh, Sencre, I'm not going to say that right, but uh, it's actually just outside of Corinth. Uh, so Phoebe is someone that likely too would have spent time with Paul. Um, you look at the greeting to Rufus, and his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Um, there's such deep fellowship and love with these people. And uh, that's really important to remember because we can get into Romans and, and we kind of uh, maybe pull out all this other stuff and don't recognize how intimate and loving and pastoral uh, Paul is with this book. Um, and they're people he's worked with, he's uh, served with, he's made tents with, uh, with Priscilla and Aquila. That's what they did. Um, and uh, so it really uh, changes the tone of Romans when we keep that in mind. Um, so uh, the, some of those specific things, he's commenting about Jews and Gentiles because he's thinking about these people here, these names, some are Jews, some are Gentiles. Um, he's uplifting Gentiles over and over again. You can imagine some tension of these Jews coming back to a Gentile-led church now, and uh, the Gentiles maybe not quite sure of their place. And so Paul goes to great lengths to say, Gentiles are in, are in the exact same place uh, before the cross uh, and before God. Um, when he talks about that, it, it's to uplift those Gentiles who may have felt second rate compared to the Jews. He talks about the law actually doesn't save, it's faith. And so the Gentiles are included. Um, He talks about new life in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. He's thinking about these people and their day-to-day lives. He's thinking about their families, their friends, their work, uh, all those things. Um, And so that's a new depth. Um, And so we know that Those in Rome, they're Jews, they're Gentiles, they're a weird mix of everyone in the Roman world, Uh, but they're also people that Paul knows really well. Uh, And uh, there's one last thing that that we want to look at about all those in Rome. Um, And that comes from our verse, uh, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. Um, what a powerful way to greet someone. You are loved by God and called to be a saint. That's the thing that Paul wants to start with. The first words to them, you are loved by God and you're called to be saints. Uh, to be named and identified as loved, 
uh, called by God. It's a beautiful thing. It's a precious, it's a holy thing. Uh, and the reason that Paul has such affection for these Romans and the reason he's writing to them, the reason he longs to be with them is because they're holy and beloved by God. Um, being identified or being in Christ and identified as such is of first importance to Paul. Uh, and so before he even gets to any of the categories of Jews and Gentiles and that kind of stuff, he wants the readers, these Romans, to know who they are. They're loved by God and called to be his saints. They're loved beyond measure. They're redeemed in Christ. They're called to be God's holy ones set apart for him. Uh, and that's Paul's first word for them. And as you read through Romans and see his arguments, you'll see that it's actually his ultimate and final word for them. You are loved by God and chosen by him to be his holy people. Um, so the second question I found myself asking uh, was how the church ended up in Rome. So Paul's this missionary, right? He's got this heart to go places where no one's gone before. Uh, you know, kind of Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. Like Paul's that guy with the gospel, right? He's going anywhere, everywhere uh, where the gospel might be spread. Uh, and so the book of Acts, a lot of it is following Paul, going to new places, new cities, new people, places where the gospel hasn't been preached. Um, in most of his letters that we see in the New Testament, they're actually letters to churches that he helped plant, that he started, that he helped strengthen. Uh, so Romans is really weird because it's a place he hasn't been, a place he hasn't preached, a place he hasn't built up the church. Um, so how did that church end up there? Uh, if Paul hasn't been there, uh, it's not likely that the other apostles have been there. And so uh, there's some various traditions, some thoughts on this. Um, many of them want to claim that Paul or Peter were the ones to start the church in Rome, that they brought the good news to Rome to establish churches there. Um, but both the Bible and extra biblical evidence uh, make it really difficult for those claims to kind of be held up. The timelines and the teaching and other places, like they don't actually point to either Paul or Peter being the ones to bring uh, the faith to Rome. Um, a lot of those claims is actually happening all over the Mediterranean world, different cities that say, Paul started our church, Peter started our church. You know, they're kind of trying to like brag on, hey, look, look, at, look at us. We got this connection. We got that connection. Uh, a lot of them uh, are frankly kind of nonsensical. Like they're, they're way beyond timelines or the travels or recorded scripture. Um, Peter and Paul do both end up in Rome at later dates, but uh, it's, it's very, very likely neither of them uh, brought the gospel to Rome. So, uh, but there's a lot of other evidence that, that we can look to that, that uh, shed light on uh, how Christians end up in Rome. All right. So uh, actually most of what you see in the pictures of Rome today, a lot of that wasn't done till after the message of Romans was written, but uh, I had to have a picture of Rome uh, so you could look at something besides a black screen. Um, so we're going to look at Acts 2 first here. Um, and we read about the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples and it allows them to preach in languages of all those who are in Jerusalem uh, and from across the Roman world. And so included in that list of nations uh, are Jews from Rome. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. Uh, So they just listed like every known place in the Roman empire. And they're all there kind of from square one, hearing the gospel news from the apostles. Um, And so they didn't have, uh, you know, red eye flights or direct flights. They, they weren't coming from Rome, you know, just for a weekend when, uh, when they would show up to a place like, like Jerusalem. It was for a pilgrimage. They were there for a while, uh, sometimes weeks or months even, to get there, to stay there, to be a part of the festivals. Um, and so they hear in Acts 2 here, they, they hear the good news of Jesus and uh, because of the way travel worked, because of why they were there, they actually probably spent some time in Rome being strengthened and encouraged as they heard this gospel news. So uh, as you think of the church in Rome, one strong possibility is that these very same Jews who hear the gospel went back uh, with that good news to Rome. Um, And in the book of Acts, you see a number of other places where uh, persecution and trials, martyrdom, those kind of things uh, force Christian believers out from Jerusalem, out from Judea, out from Sumeria. And uh, you, you see this, these waves over and over of believers kind of being moved by God through these events to bring the faith to new places. Um, and so each one of these moments of exile and of, of movement of people uh, is another place where um, we could see Jewish believers ending up in Rome. Um, and so uh, it's really crazy that, that it's actually kind of normal everyday, well, persecution is not a, a normal everyday thing, but it's through business, it was through trade, it's through visiting family, it's through uh, moving to a new city that, that this gospel message was spread. Uh, and it's actually corroborated in Acts 18, which I mentioned before. Um, and uh, Paul arrives in Corinth and he immediately seeks out someone named Aquila, native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. Um, So here again, we have this biblical witness of uh, Paul running into these Roman Jews. And when they show up here, all evidence says, they already knew Jesus. Paul found them right away and started working with them right away. He doesn't, doesn't say he ministered to them, he baptized them, everything else. Uh, it's assumed that Priscilla and Aquila are in Corinth, uh, and this would have been around AD 49, and they're already believers. 
And uh, so Paul's working with them. And we see now uh, a decade later when the book of Romans is written, they're back in Rome. And so they very well may have been another wave of people bringing the faith uh, back to Rome. Um, so this uh, event here, Claudius being, uh, this is kind of just a side note, I found this fascinating. Claudius expelling all of the Jews from Rome happened in AD 49. There's a lot of extra biblical evidence of this, accounts of how and why and that kind of thing. Uh, and uh, generally Romans had been very tolerant of, of other religions and Jews uh, and Christians eventually then were kind of the only troublesome ones. And it's because they only believed in one God. So they couldn't add all the Roman gods to their worship of the one true God. Um, and so some of these other accounts uh, outside of the Bible, they talk about this edict where they're ejected. And uh, they said, and the problem arose with the Jews of a certain Crestus who was causing problems. And uh, that's elsewhere used at the same time to refer to Christ. And so these references outside of the Bible are talking about Jews engaged with believing Jews, Christian Jews. And, and there's this turmoil between, uh, you know, these Jews and these new Christian Jews. And there's all sorts of conflict as we see all over in the book of Acts is the Jews and the new Christian Jews are at odds with one another. And so it's uh, just kind of a fascinating little thing to, to see this uh, expansion of the gospel and, and how it ties into the Jewish people and how there's pushback. And it actually is part of what God uses to push the faith in new places. Um, so one of the things I found really encouraging this week, so the church is in Rome. It's in Rome really early before the apostles get there. Um, and that's crazy because you think of the book of Acts and you think of the New Testament, you think of Peter and Paul and you think of the disciples going all the places, preaching, doing all the things, miracles and the Holy Spirit coming and all that stuff. Uh, and the church in Rome, by the time the book is written, is already established and none of that other stuff happened. None of the uh, all-star disciples made it to Rome to see it happen. Um, the people in Rome were coming to faith and growing in Christ uh, through ordinary lives and ordinary people. It wasn't uh, uh, Christian all-stars that, that did it. It was faithful people following the Lord, being filled with the Spirit and living their lives. And that influence was enough to, to build this church um, in the New Testament. So the apostles, they, they get a lot of focus and for good reason, but it's actually the ordinary work in the ordinary lives of ordinary people that provided a far broader witness for Christ than the apostles ever could have. You think of all those people in Acts 2 all of a sudden going back. Uh, you think of each one of the uh, moments where believers are traveling to new places because of persecution. They're out ahead of the apostles, even though the apostles um, do incredible stuff. It, it's crazy. Um, so as faithful, uh, spirit-filled Christians, that they never preached a sermon. They never wrote a book. They never built a ministry or grew a platform to share. Um, but they had this incredible impact of building the church in new places. Uh, and, and I just found that tremendously encouraging. Like, 
we don't need a superstar Christian. We need everyday faith to, to love God and love others. Um, so I, I found myself thinking about this a lot. The early church, even with all the work of the apostles, uh, is far more about the movement of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of, of countless nameless and faceless people. Um, but God orchestrates their comings and goings from city to city. You know, they go visit family. They bring the gospel with them. They take a new job in a new city. They take their faith with them. Um, something happens in their city where they're moving out. They take their faith with them over and over and over. Uh, all these little things, everyday kind of things, and uh, God uses that to bring the gospel to people. Uh, and the same is true today. Uh, what happens in our regular lives, Monday through Saturday, actually does far more for the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church than anything that happens here on Sunday. Uh, so when you head off to work tomorrow and then you're teaching these students and you have a chance to, to be salt and light in their lives, when you go into the office, when you're at home with your kids, like that's how the gospel is spread. As much as Drew or I or the other elders would like to think that our preaching is what matters most, uh, it doesn't. Uh, not by a long shot. It's every day for, for all of us. Uh, your weekday matters to God and your home life matters to God. Your job matters to God and your relationships uh, with your neighbors matter to God. Um, and uh, that can kind of sound intimidating. Like, wait, you're telling us we have to like be like the Roman church and start new churches. And I don't know how, I don't feel equipped to do that. Uh, that's not the case. Uh, the early disciples, uh, early followers of Christ that brought Christianity, brought the good news of Jesus to Rome. They didn't have special training. Not, they didn't have gospel tracts. Uh, they didn't have mission boards to send people. Uh, they didn't have street evangelism teams or puppet or praise dance ministries. Uh, and they didn't even have flannel graph uh, to tell Bible stories. Uh, they just had their everyday lives and the power of the Holy Spirit to help them share the good news. Um, so one of the things I do for my day job, my nine to five, I help train churches on how to do effective evangelism and outreach. And I've been waiting for a while to like find a place to squeeze this next couple minutes into a sermon because uh, it's something I'm really passionate about. Um, and it, I'm not gonna share a gospel tract with you to like memorize and go give to your neighbors. And I'm not even gonna share like a particular gospel presentation or this is how you share the good news. Uh, but I wanna take a few minutes to share something that I found tremendously helpful. And I've seen churches come alive with this idea and believers come alive with this idea. Uh, and it's really just a simple way to be salt and light in our everyday lives. You think of this Roman church that was growing and flourishing without any of the work of the apostles, without any great miracles and wonders and uh, sermons from uh, Peter or Paul uh, is everyday things that, that, that uh, grew that church. And so uh, these are just three easy to remember activities. They're personal habits that I've tried to build. Um, and they're uh, just help us love our neighbors well. And we're a church that loves the city we're in I look at the lives of people right here and you guys are doing so many incredible things to love your neighbors, to love this school, to love this community, to love coworkers, to love refugees, to um, you know, working with Seika and the food shelf and all these different ways, like just everyday ways of serving and loving. And uh, so this is something that kind of is, is built on that idea. Uh, and it's really quick outline these three habits. 
Uh, you've maybe heard them. It's if you've read like missions work or that kind of stuff, it, it's really common, but uh, prayer, care, share. Um, and you can imagine this Roman church engaged in all these. We actually know they did all these things from both biblical and extra biblical accounts all over scripture, all over Acts, all over Paul's writing is be committed to prayer, be earnest in prayer, be zealous in prayer. They committed themselves to prayer. We just uh, a couple weeks ago read in Acts 12, that sermon uh, where Peter gets out of jail and the people were praying. Um, and so pray, we, we ask God to show us people in our lives who we should be praying for. And then we pray, pray regularly uh, for all aspects of their lives. Um, we pray that we'd have opportunity to share the love of God in both word and deed. Uh, we just finished a sermon series on prayer. So hopefully we all feel uh, equipped, better equipped for deeper prayer lives. And we just look around us. Uh, who are the people God has put in our daily lives? How can we commit to praying for them? And then we just wait for God, wait for God to work. Um, offer up specific prayers for them. Uh, not just, I pray for Joe who lives next door, uh, but... I know Joe is going through this right now, or I know this is having pray for physical, mental, social, emotional, and spiritual needs. Um, and trust that God will answer. He'll open doors. Um, so start with prayer. We're dependent on God. The next one is care. How do we care for people? How did the Romans care for people? There's all sorts of uh, extra biblical accounts of uh, Christians in the early church and the way that the outside world, the Roman world, saw them caring for people, for one another and for the broader community. So best way to care for people, uh, you don't need to open a, a food shelf or a clothing closet in your garage. Um, but the best way is just to be present with them in everyday life, build friendships, uh, show care ways simply as checking in with a phone call or a check uh, or a, a phone call or a text um, or walking alongside them through hard stuff. A lot of people don't have others to turn to when life gets crazy. And so just walking with them. Uh, we can use our prayer requests as a starting point. Say, I'm praying for, you know, I'm praying that they would get this, this, and this in their life. Like, oh, maybe I could help them. I could be the person to help them with that. Um, and like I mentioned, you guys do this so well, uh, loving our community. So prayer, care. And then the last one is share. Uh, be ready to give an answer. Uh, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Uh, seek to turn conversations to spiritual things. In our testimonies, our own stories, we don't need a gospel tract. Uh, the early believers didn't have tracts. They didn't have uh, slideshows and projectors and all sorts of stuff. They had their stories. I had a time in my life when I was anxious and depressed and I really struggled and God worked in my life and now I know peace and joy. A simple testimony like that. Our stories every day are what uh, God can use. Um, so I wanna take us back to our passage, close with our passage here. Um, in the early church in Rome, uh, I can imagine them engaged in all of these things without thinking about it. That was just a way of life, right? They prayed to God because they needed him to show up in their lives. And they cared for their neighbors and for one another because it was the overflow of what they'd received from God in Christ. And then they shared the good news. They were ready 
and the power of the Spirit to bear witness to, to what he'd done. Um, so going back to Romans 7, uh, all those in Rome, this, uh, oops, this, this Roman church that Paul writes to, uh, they weren't the superstar Christians. It wasn't the A-list of Peter, Paul, and the apostles and disciples. Uh, it was people living their lives and uh, faithfully bearing witness to the God who had saved them. Um, and we get to continue in their footsteps. Uh, as we read Romans, we want to remember that it's to people with flesh and blood stories and joys and sorrows. It's to people that... Uh, had the same problems as you and I. And so when we read these things, uh, we tend to kind of abstract concepts, uh, which we should do. It shows us a lot about God and who we are, but we also want to think through like, Paul wrote this so that Priscilla and Aquila could love their neighbors well. Uh, he wrote this so Rufus and his mother uh, could continue to care for people in a profound and beautiful way. Um, and so I want to give you that encouragement as we think about Romans, as we think about the book, as we think about Paul sending it, we think about the Romans receiving it. Uh, it's a book for, for everyday life. It's a book to uh, shepherd our hearts and our souls and our lives in a way that uh, makes a tangible impact in this world. Um, and so that's what we get to do in Romans. I got a couple questions. Oops, this was supposed to be done already. <laughs> I did the prayer care share, but who can we pray for repeatedly, specifically? How can we show care in simple and earnest ways? Uh, and are we ready to give a reason for the hope we have? Um, and here's the final questions. Uh, have you experienced the love and calling of God? Paul commends the Romans as people that are loved by God and called to be his saints. Have you experienced that? Have you experienced that love? Have you felt that calling of him on your life uh, to follow him? Um, where can you see God's work in your life in simple day-to-day -day ways? As you head into the office tomorrow, uh, how might God use that situation and circumstance and those relationships to uh, help you be salt and light? Uh, and then finally, uh, who has God put in your life that you are uniquely positioned to pray for, to care for, and to share with? Um, can you be like Andronicus and Rufus and uh, Phoebe and all those other people through their everyday lives, bearing witness, uh, being salt and light, and, and seeing the church grow, seeing God use that? Um, we're going to take communion here now and, and have some songs. The worship team can uh, head up here. Um, and we're going to have people in the back uh, available to pray. Uh, encourage you to, to uh, use them for that, to go before God. Um, and then uh, giving online. But for communion, it's out in the hallway if you haven't been with us. Uh, we don't ask that you be a member here, but we would ask that uh, you be a follower of Christ. Uh, communion for this Roman church that we're going to read about in the early church was a big deal. Is a place where all of God's people together could be reminded of God's goodness. Together, they could be reminded that without God and without that body being broken, without that blood being shed, uh, we would be apart from God. Uh, and so we take the bread and we drink the cup and we remember that and we celebrate God's goodness towards us and we do it together. Uh, Jew and Gentile, uh, all of us get to partake in that. So uh, let's pray and then we'll worship. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, you are good to us. 
Um, sometimes we can read Romans or read the book of Acts and be intimidated by uh, the remarkable believers we see there, Peter and Paul and James and John and uh, the miracles that happened and the incredible sermons they give and how eloquent and uh, intelligent and passionate and fearless they seem. Uh, and that can intimidate us. Uh, and then we read the list of names in Romans and uh, we're reminded uh, you don't need superstars. You don't need uh, A-list Christians to build platforms and to write books. You need uh, faithful people in the everyday uh, waking up, coming before you in dependence and then uh, going out to uh, life, all of life with uh, the hope of the gospel, with the good news of your son, Jesus. I uh, pray that you'd make us into that kind of people, that you'd encourage us and strengthen us this week. Uh, our Mondays matter, our Tuesdays matter, Father. Our uh, Every day is a chance uh, for us to serve and honor you and for you to be at work in us and through us. And so I uh, pray that you'd do that this week even. And uh, thank you for this time now this morning. Amen.